Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Ish. Open the door 2024. Let's get it started, man. Happy New Year, y'all. Hope you all are well and warm. Many blessings in this new campaign. Welcome to Right Nowish. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. We're getting this year started by talking to someone who had a wild 2023. Last year, Oakland filmmaker, organizer, and MC Boots Riley got active. He created a sci-fi show called I'm a Virgo. It's about a 13-foot-tall black man from East Oakland. And behind the scenes, Boots stood alongside members of the Writers Guild of America as they protested for major changes that'll benefit the work that they do. Boots also talked to business owners in Oakland about commerce, violence, and how it's all being portrayed in the media. This week, we discussed community, the art of storytelling, and some of the more oppressive elements in our society, in the unique way that only Boots can. Uh, what do you call a bass player without a girlfriend? Uh, I don't... Homeless. <laughs> and that's because there's some truth in that. Coming in hot right after this. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more... Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. So in 2023, you dropped this magnificent series, I'm a Virgo, a show about a 13-foot black man from Oakland and how society responded to him. Um, it's been a few months. The first thing that jumped out at me from watching the series is symbolism. And I'm wondering, did your symbolism ever go over people's heads? The symbolism that I use is pretty overt. It's pretty like, you know, hits you in the head critiques I see is like, that was too much, 
or this was, uh, you know, I, 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 I try to make art that's a little unsettling at times, right? That um, can even be repulsive a little bit so that, you know, I, I want to bring you into a world and then push you back a little to where you're like, whoa, what's going on? Hopefully I'm not, I don't push you back too far to where you don't re-engage. But to me, um, that is part of like the art being more honest where you know it's it's a piece of art and it is not just the world as it is. That makes sense. That's the purpose of art, of education, of entertainment, is to take people out of their world, expose them to something new, and then just drop them back off, but newly enlightened, you know, with the new kind of mind frame. I experienced that in, in watching I'm a Virgo, you know, where I'm familiar with stories of giants, you know, from the ancient times, but I'd never conceived of a giant in the neighborhood where I spent time growing up, the dubs, and being like, oh, wait, hold on, mind blown. And so that, that was an example that of, of the symbolism that I saw. It's like, oh, wait, I guess in some ways we were kind of giants because of how society treated us like we were weird, you know, like stood out in crowds, if you will. Did you have any personal experiences that informed the show? Or the characters in it? I think that's the only way to be an artist is if your personal life influences it. So when I write, like, every character is me. But me with certain parameters, like I've been through these experiences. You know, it's a way that, that I can make the characters more human, right? So, or every character is a piece of me. That makes perfect sense. It's all coming from your mind. So, yeah, it has to be you that pours into it and you pour heavily into the the Oakland bucket in this series. And there's references both to the dubs, as I mentioned, as well as the lower bottoms, there's sideshows, there's music, there's people who even remind me of folks from the town. How, how has the community received this series? Having something so specifically about Oakland, not only, you know, is something that, that people from Oakland feel uh, excited about, but even if someone's not from Oakland or has never been, it, it makes it feel uh, more fantastical, actually, because you have some real things to ground it. And so everything else feels more special. Man, what the hell's wrong with you coming in? What are you thinking? What? What do you mean, what? It's a word attempting to specifically locate the object of one's inquiry. Boy, I wish I was eight foot tall. Have you been listening to me? Have I been wasting my breath? You can't waste or save it because it comes out either way. Man, this dude is crazy. You do not appreciate what we put aside to keep you safe okay, well, and to I keep you ask, fed I didn't to become the man that you are. I gave you up. Bing Bang Burgers? Hmm? Y'all used to eat Bing Bang Burgers. Yes, I did. I did eat Bing Bang Burgers, but I stopped. Okay. How about subwoofers then? Huh? You guys always play music from these tiny little speakers, so you basically kept one of the greatest inventions from me. It moves through your body like, like waves, okay? And it sinks to your bones, and you can feel the ground and the sky at the same time as if, as if, you, as if you're the thing that's keeping it together, you know? I'm 19, and I heard bass for the first time? That's abuse. The surrealism definitely makes you feel detached from the experience of being in Oakland. You know, like I could say that it, that would never really happen. And also the things that really 
are reference points or like, okay, I know what he's going for here. I know what this is a reference to. And so that's the balance. Is that intentional? I, I, I always say, I, I think the more specific you are, the more universal you are. Often the way film is made these days, because it's kind of done on a, a production line sort of thing, everything is any place USA. Okay, they're supposed to be in Ohio, but they're filming in Vancouver and everything becomes devoid of this specificity. Beyond the work that you've done that's flourished on the screen, you've been heavily involved with work happening behind the scenes. Um, 2023 saw a number of major labor movements. One of them, more notable ones, was in Hollywood with the writer's strike. And I wanted to know your perspective on what do you think came out of the writer's strike and the agreement? There were significant gains made around AI and uh, things that they didn't think we we could get, uh, that people said we couldn't get. There were gains made around residuals, around streaming, significant gains that we wouldn't have gotten uh, at all without a strike. One of the wins was uh, what we talk about as transparency. At first it was with reruns. We keep playing your thing, more people see it, and they're making more money with it. So you get more, you get more back in. With streaming, they're making more money than they did the other way. And they're also having to pay out much less. And so the idea was like, hey, if you have a TV show or a movie that a lot of people are watching, you should get something extra on top of that. But there was never a way because they never told anybody those numbers. What was one on the WGA side was uh, the idea that they will share the numbers with WGA representatives who will then collect fees for the writers based on that and, and distribute it. The other unprecedented things, demanding the amount of people employed on a show. So they, we have these writer's room minimums you know, is like saying you've got to hire at least this many people at this level. That sort of thinking is one where it's saying, like, you're making all this money. Share it more with us. Make this a safer job to have, you know, financially safer job to have by employing more people. The strikes happening in Hollywood have been part of this movement of the working class moving to the left and becoming more militant and more radical in many areas. The folks that are making more and don't really need the strike in case of the writers and showrunners and the big stars with SAG, some of the big directors, they're striking on behalf of the folks that are at the bottom rungs, right? And there's a, there's a radical solidarity that's happening in those cases. Similarly, we see those things happening with stuff like the UPS strike, where they were all willing to go on strike. The full-timers were going on, they were, they were going to go on strike on behalf of the part-timers. I think those are the things that people are gleaning, that people sticking together, um, you know, even 
when they feel like, okay, this is not necessarily benefiting me as much directly right now. They understand that that strength uh, grows and benefits them in, in more significant ways. At the intersection of entertainment and economic justice in Oakland, you're doing work with an org called Cinemama. Can you tell us about the organization and what the big goal is? There are some filmmakers from around the Bay Area, and we started talking about how a lot of filmmakers will be in the Bay Area working in their cubby holes and, and not knowing each other around and end up moving to L.A. because they think that there's more opportunities for them there. Another reason that people move from here that are artists or filmmakers is because the rent is so damn high. So there's, there's a couple things. One, we want to uh, create actual spaces for filmmakers in the East Bay, specifically in Oakland, to be able to work together if they need, if they want to meet each other, show their work, and also develop themselves. We're working to get a screening room and connect it with a social space of some kind, whether that's a cafe or a bar or something like that, and have these spaces. But to also advocate for things that will uh, make there be able to be more space for people to be artists. All those actions are stimulating the artistic community, like uh, clear across the board, and as well as like stimulating the economy. I know that Oakland as a whole has been on your radar. The work that you do, we both work in the community. Um, there's been long been an issue of violence. I put violence in air quotes and I make like a horizontal sign because in my mind, violence is horizontal. It's not just the violent act. It's also the things that put people in position to take acts. Um, and I was following some work that you were doing where you were looking at this rise of violence in Oakland and how it's been communicated in the media. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, how can you combat both the misinformation and the violence? When you look at CDC statistics of homicides, 1950, black-on-black -black murder was 50% more than it is around these age at times. It went up steadily till the year 1970, where it was 75% more than it is in these days. Since then, there's been this bumpy road down. It's gone up and down, but it's been, the, more, the curve of it has been down. Times when violence has gone down, it's been because pay has gone up. It's been because of, of all these things that you might call social justice, quality of life, where people don't have to hustle as much. When the quarantine happened, many people, including myself, called out that if you have a quarantine, you have people not being able to work and not getting paid, people are going to have to get money from somewhere. So if you wanted to reduce the violence, you have a bigger shot at reducing violence by supporting labor movements that are striking to raise wages. And striking 
as WGA did to expand hiring. The Fed to other financial gurus uh, recommended recently that there be a 5% layoff to raise unemployment because the raise in unemployment causes a desperation in which people will accept lower pay. They say this out in the open. It sounds crazy. They say this. Um, and they did it. They did it. A 5% cro- across a whole bunch of industries after these recommendations came down. Now, that desperation that causes people to accept lower pay is a desperation that will also cause them to be like, I can steal in a laptop. Also, there's an organization called Neighbors Together Oakland putting out this idea that the crime rate has has risen. It's gone down for two years since 2021, apparently, and it only went up for a couple years before that. It is funded by a, a woman who is heir to the Bay Alarm Company, who's also a major real estate developer. So the same group that is calling that is saying we need more police because there's higher crime are also the ones who lobby to end the eviction moratorium, kicking families out onto the street. They're also the same ones who are complaining that homeless people are in Oakland and trying to get them swept off of Wood Street. So you have a real estate developer and an alarm company heiress who funds a a neighborhood organization to kick people out onto the street, say there shouldn't be homeless here, say that there's too much crime and everybody should be locked up because all of these things benefit further gentrifying Oakland and they benefit uh, a narrative that says poverty is only coming from these choices people are making. You went on a a bit of an investigative uh, reporting spree in in the summer of 2023. The connections that you just pointed out, is that some of which you you stumbled across when you were looking at businesses that were saying that they were going on strike because of the rise in crime? That's a whole even separate thing. But yes, when a group, I forget the name of the group, said that businesses in Oakland were going on strike. First, they started claiming that Oakland businesses were shutting down because of crime. There's been no proof that more businesses have shut down at a faster rate than they have ever been shutting down. Restaurants open and they shut down. That's just how things happen. You have folks like Target who opened up these experimental things to compete with CVS and they were small things. They didn't work and they didn't work across the country and they shut them down. But Here's the thing is they've been used as political fodder. Somebody, you know, shutting down will be like, oh, my business didn't work because people didn't come to it. And I think it's because of crime in Oakland. That's not a fact. That's just them saying that. Anyway, so they started saying, "Okay, these businesses are going on a one day strike against the crime, the rise in crime in Oakland. They kept saying 200 businesses, 200 businesses. And they wouldn't say which businesses. And the couple businesses they said at first weren't going on strike. And then one of them said they were going to open up two hours later in response to that. 
Another one that said that they were going on strike, they never were open on that day of the week anyway. So then there was a, I don't remember what what publication, but they they showed a list of uh, of businesses that were provided by this group saying they were all going on strike. And I just called them up and, you know, uh, all except for one had said either they didn't had never heard of it or they had never heard of it. They weren't going on strike and they were mad that their name was being used for that. It was fake. But so it goes along with this this narrative and there's very little journalism being done against the narrative. So so much of the narrative about crime is uh, whatever the police say is said as fact, like as if they have no motivations that are political. Journalists should qualify that this is what the police are saying and put that in context of everything else that's going on. We know way more than enough about the history of police and specifically the history of the Oakland Police Department themselves. So much so that I actually, people think of me as fearless, but I'm afraid of saying some of the stuff because some people get killed. We've touched on a number of things, like everything from economic disparities to entertainment, mass organizing, um, misinformation. I'm thinking about 2024 and what's to come and what's going on in the world. Everything from it's an election year to multiple wars going on overseas. I'll ask you this. Is there anything that you're specifically looking forward to in 2024 as it relates to your work? I'm really hopeful about this uh, strike wave that's happening. A lot of the strike wave has been from places that were otherwise unorganized. They didn't have a union um, and often people organizing without the help of any traditional union and sometimes joining the traditional union, sometimes joining uh, less traditional unions. But that is also making the larger traditional unions more militant and radicals that are inside of those places kind of uh, coming to the fore. And so there's a lot of possibility, you know, average everyday people saying, well, can you really do something? Uh, you know, like, is that possible? And the truth is, is that if you can organize and shut an industry down, you can demand all sorts of things and get get it because you're making them choose between no profit and less profit. Boots, thank you. Clearly, you are a very busy guy, so thank you for taking time to talk. Good luck in the new year, and we are all looking forward to your next production. I'll be shooting another movie in March. I'll just say this. It's about a, a group of professional shoplifters who find a device called a situational accelerator. For all of you out there listening, do yourself a favor and follow Boots on social media. You can find him on any platform under his name, Boots Riley, and Riley is spelled R-I-L-E-Y. And check out his films and his music, too. This episode was hosted by me, Pendarvis Harshaw. It was produced by Marisol Medina Cadena. Chris Hambrick is our editor. Cherie Bishop is our production intern. Christopher Beale is our engineer. 
Additional support provided by Jen Xian, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, Ora Dursun, and Holly Kernan. We at the Right Nowish team are looking forward to bringing you some dope stories this year. And all that we ask in return is that you drop a comment, rate the show, tell a friend, or share an episode with a colleague. Thank you in advance. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Until next time, peace. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.